You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Titus chapter number 2, verse number 10. The Bible says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your, your blessing on the reading of your word and the preaching to follow. Lord, help me to say what you'd have me to say. Help me to be a blessing to your people. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And I pray you bless now the message in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a faithful man who can find. We're living in a generation, a day and age where that verse is way more relevant than it's probably ever been. Faithfulness to the principles and the precepts of the Word of God is really, really scarce. We've obviously, going through in the past year and a half, two years, we've really seen a lot of people's real faithfulness and what it takes to get people to quit on God and quit on their church attendance and things like that. But beyond that, there's been a lot of people that over the years have just drifted from positions that they once held. It doesn't take much anymore, it seems like, for people to quit, to give up, to you know, find the smallest little thing as an excuse to quit going to church and to backslide and quit reading their Bible and whatever the case may be. Maybe you heard the story of a guy, he was shipwrecked on an island for quite some time, several years, and finally they had a ship that came and found him and was there to rescue him. And this team of rescuers, they're there getting him all uh, situated and fed and cleaned up. And they're getting him on board the ship to take him home. And one of the rescuers asked him, they said, we noticed there on the shore as we pulled up, you had three separate buildings all lined up there across the shore. What's that about? He said, well, the one there in the middle, that's my house. You know, I've been here for several years. You know, I needed a, a real structure to protect me from the elements, to protect me from wild animals. And so that's my house. That's where I live. The building on the right of that, well, that's my church. You know, I'm a Christian, and I believe that even if I'm stranded out here on an island, God wants me to worship Him, and so I built a church so I could worship God. And he was just going to leave it at that, and the guy said, well, what about the church, what about the building on the left? And in disgust, the guy goes, huh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> I think we all know somebody like that, that if they were the only person, they'd still find a reason to get bent out of shape and get their feelings hurt and just quit. And the Bible says a faithful man who can find faithfulness to the truth of God's word is scarce these days. I by no means am an old man. Uh, that would, that's my brother. But even in my limited time of ministry, I've been serving the Lord for 15 years now, and even in just my short time in the ministry, I can't tell you the number of people that I know that have drifted from positions that, and convictions that they once held dear to. People that have changed their doctrinal beliefs about what the Bible says and about what God would have for a Christian to do. People who have erred and compromised the Word of God and drifted from positions they once held dear to. I know of preachers that have disqualified themselves from the ministry for failing to adhere to the principles and precepts of this book. I remember in Bible college, 
You know, Bible colleges are full of young people that go uh, with a desire to, to serve God and, and reach people with the gospel, want to make a difference. And I remember certain friends of mine that were there, man, they had a passion. They wanted to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. They couldn't wait to graduate and, man, start a church and win souls who to this day right now are managing department stores or selling cars. So people have drifted and erred from their positions. The Bible says a faithful man who can find. People have changed their doctrinal beliefs to appease the culture. Well, in verse number one, Paul tells Timothy, he says, preach thou the things that become sound doctrine. And then for the next several verses, he begins to kind of lay out some doctrinal beliefs to Titus and pass on some truths to Titus that he felt were important that Titus should keep and hold on to. And then verse 15, he tells him, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He's telling Titus, he says, stay faithful to these things. Hold dear to these things. Speak these things to anyone and everyone that will listen. And today I'm so thankful that here in Roanoke Rapids, there's still a church, that Victory Baptist Church is still here faithfully teaching and preaching these things. The same things that Paul gave to Titus, that Titus would then pass on to faithful men who for generation after generation after generation have been preaching and teaching the principles and precepts of this book. I'm so thankful that this church is still preaching these things. I'm so thankful for a pastor who faithfully, week in and week out, still preaches these things. That regardless of what God lays on his heart to get up and preach, knowing good and well, sometimes it's not what you want to hear, but it's what God wants him to say, and he faithfully preaches and teaches the Word of God. I'm so thankful that, yes, even up north there, that state we came from, that we don't say that word. Up As a Buckeye fan, you don't say that word. But even up there in north, there's still a church where my kids can grow up in a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God. That Growing up, the next generation can still receive some of that old-time religion and have the Bible-believing and Bible-preaching church to go to. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the older men in my life that have poured into me and invested in my life. But this morning, with the time that I have, I want to declare unapologetically this morning that I still believe these things. That I still believe these things. This morning, I want to give you four truths that Paul gave to Titus that I believe we still need today. Number one this morning, I want to say I still believe in salvation by grace through faith. Amen. Look at verse number 11 again. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You understand this morning that there's a universal need. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is in the same boat. Everybody is saying, the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us is a sinner. We are born with a sin nature. You're not just a sinner this morning because you sin, right? You sin because you are a sinner. We're born with a sin nature, and all of us are the same way, and it doesn't do us any good to compare ourselves among ourselves. We, you know, compared to this person, you might be fine, and man, if we all compare ourselves to Beth, we're all doing good, you know? It doesn't, you can always find somebody that you're better than, that you're doing better than, and make yourself feel good. But the Bible says it doesn't do you any good because we are all in the same position. We're all sinners. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so since there's a universal need, God provided a universal remedy. The Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
in some Christian circles, it's really popular to talk about how God's grace is only for a select few and you know, only for this secret society and God's only selected these certain people to go to heaven and he selected these certain people to go to hell. But the Bible says very clearly this morning that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. There's a universal remedy. Our sin amounts to rebellion against an all-wise, all-seeing, all-powerful God. His omnipresence places him on the scene of every one of our transgressions. Think about that. Every time you've sinned, every wicked thing that you've done that you wish nobody knew about, it's not just that God knows about it. He was there. His omnipresence places him on the scene of every one of our transgressions. His omniscience makes him aware of every wicked thought, word, or deed that we've ever had. Every wicked desire in your heart that even you, even myself, in our own sinful state, we were like, hmm, I better not say that. You know, we were you know, good enough to stop that from coming out, but it was all that wickedness that never came on the outside, God knows. Every time where somebody cut you off in traffic and, man, you boiled up and you thought, and you didn't say it, but if somebody would have wrote all the words, you would have signed your name to it. God knows. His omniscience makes him aware of every wicked thought, every uh, wicked intention of our heart's desire. He knows it all. And listen, instead of simply pouring out his wrath on us, God extends his grace towards us. Think about it. All, All we deserve is his judgment, his wrath, and yet in that, God extends grace to us. I love it. He does not just simply offer to overlook our sin because that would violate his holiness. God doesn't just say, well, mm, I love them, so you know, what are you going to do? Just ignore and overlook our sin. No, his holiness demands that sin must be dealt with. If I robbed a bank and you let me hide out in your house, you're just as guilty as I am. And so God cannot just overlook our sin and just say, you know what, come on to heaven anyway. I love you. I just want to be with you. His holiness demands that sin be dealt with. But at the same time, he doesn't just simply offer us forgiveness either. Right? God doesn't just say, well, let's just wipe the slate clean and we'll start over. We would still mess it up. What God does is the Bible says that God offers us complete justification. That's the Bible word that God uses, justification. That word, it's a legal term, meaning that in the courtroom of heaven, God declares us innocent. Declares us innocent. That means that when God looks at me, he doesn't just see sinful Gary Moore that's been forgiven. No, the Bible says that when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We've been completely justified. God sees me not just as if I had never sinned. God sees me as if I was never a sinner. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he removes our sin from his memory by an act of mercy and grace. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he hath saved us. Look, I didn't travel 13 hours to upset you this morning, but your good works can't save you. It doesn't matter how good you are, what kind of works you do. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses, right? We talked about our sins, but the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Even the best we could do to a holy God is nothing. What no amount of good works you could ever do could take away the sin that you've already committed. Nothing, none of our good works would be good enough to offer up as payment for our sin. Your good works won't save you. I run into people all the time. I knock a lot of doors in our community, just as we did here. And one common denominator, north, south, doesn't matter. One answer I get a lot is, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you know you're going to heaven? And a lot of times people say something similar to this. 
I'm working on it. Uh, I'm trying. I'm working on it. Uh, that's definitely the goal, right? It's better than the alternative. I'm, I'm working on it. But I want to tell you this way. You can't work on it. That'll never get you to heaven. You'll never do enough good deeds to earn your way to heaven. Your good works cannot and will not save you. Your family traditions can't save you. Man, another thing you hear, especially down here in the South, you, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Oh, yeah, yeah I, man, I've, I've always been a Christian. I, I, I just, I grew up in church. Man, it seems like all I remember is going to Sunday school, going to vacation Bible schools, and man, my, we were always there, mom, dad, grandma, everybody, we were always in church. I've just always been a Christian. Listen, I'm glad if that's your heritage, but your family traditions, no matter how good they are, cannot and will not save you. Your church cannot save you. Whether that be you come to this church or some other church or any church, no church can get you to heaven. I tell you, be very careful. Be very aware of a place that says, hey, if you just join our membership, you can go to heaven. If you just give to our church, if you just uh, are faithful to our church, then you can go to heaven. They are lying to you. No church can get you to heaven. Nobody praying for you, being baptized seven times, forwards, backwards, sprinkled, confirmed, dedicated as a baby. Only by grace are we saved, the Bible says. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I am glad you are here, but just being in this building cannot and will not get you to heaven. Maybe you've heard it this way, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You, I'm glad you're here. I hope you are faithful to church, but church attendance to any church cannot save you. Listen, I'm, I'm, I admit my bias. <laughs> the Victory Baptist Church is a great church. I love this place. I'm full of a lot of great people, but this church cannot and will not get you to heaven. In Romans chapter number 11, verse 6, Paul says it this way, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no, no more work. Otherwise, work is no more work. So what? Paul's just, it's a tongue twister, but Paul's just saying, look, we are saved by grace, and the very moment you add any work to that, it ceases to be grace. It's not Jesus plus your church attendance. It's not Jesus plus your baptism or Jesus plus your morality. No, it's Jesus and Him alone. And the moment you try to add works to grace, it ceases to be grace. Jesus didn't come to help you on your way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto God but by Him. And this, this salvation that God offers is just as eternal as God is. And I've met a lot of people that struggle with whether or not once you get saved, if you're always saved. And God makes it very simple. He calls it everlasting life. It wouldn't be everlasting if it didn't last forever. right? I know that sounds simple, but some people struggle with just that simple statement. It wouldn't be everlasting if it didn't last forever. Your salvation that you have through Jesus Christ is as eternal as God is. Listen, I know this isn't a basketball game, so there's not much to get excited about or nothing. But if you're saved, you're going to live as long as God lives. Listen, if you got saved, it doesn't matter if you got saved when you were six years old and you're 66 now. If you got saved, if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to live as long as God lives. Salvation is eternal. Because of a minor fraction of a sailor aboard the USS Reeves headed to Japan was busted one rank, fined, and given extra duty for three weeks. He was looking forward to celebrating his 21st birthday on July 22nd. And so every night as he was doing his extra duty, he consoled himself by repeating over and over, they can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. They can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. And he continued to do this every night, and as July 22nd approached, his excitement increased. 
And when he went to bed on July 21st, he laid in bed and again repeated his self-encouraging phrase, they can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. The next morning when he woke up, he realized that the ship had crossed the international date line and it was July 23rd. (laughs) So many things, so many things in this life are uncertain and can be lost, even your birthday. But the Bible says, if you are saved by Jesus Christ, you are saved eternally and nothing can change that. Jesus says, you're in my hand and my hand is in the Father's hand and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Listen, I know that I'm saved this morning, and it's not because since I got saved, I've been able to do anything to keep myself saved. It's not because I believe that I'm holding it tight and I'm keeping my end of the bargain. No, friend. I'm saved today because I know whom I have believed, and He, not me, He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him. The Bible says we are saved by grace, and that grace is available to all. And there's a lot of people that want to add to grace or say that grace is only for a select few. But I still believe that the grace of God that brings us salvation hath appeared to all men. I still believe in salvation by grace through faith. But secondly, number two, I still believe in separation. Now don't get nervous. We're just going to read the Bible together. Look at verse number 12. The Bible speaking of that grace. says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. All Paul's saying is that the same grace that saves us changes our lives. The same grace that saved your soul can change your life, right? We call that separation. We believe the grace of God is powerful, right? Can reach down and save the soul farthest from, uh, from, from Christ. Well, that same grace that's powerful enough to save a soul can change your life. And God desires that it does. God desires that the Christian life is to be a holy life. We are called to be separated from sin, but unto God. Right? We're not just trying to separate ourselves from sin. We're not trying to go isolate ourselves on a mountain and can our own tomatoes and God said we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we're to be separated from sin, but unto God. It's like this. When a man and a woman get married, they separate themselves from all other mates and give themselves completely and wholly to each other. Just separation from other mates, that's not marriage. That's called being single, right? Some of you are fully aware of that. Right? Being separate from other, other mates just alone, that's, that's being single. That's not marriage. The Bible says that separation... It's not just a biblical separation. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those that do. No, biblical separation is we are separated unto God, called to live a holy life. Someone said it this way, separation without devotion is isolation, but devotion without separation is hypocrisy. We understand today that's a big problem in the church as well. There's a whole lot of people in churches all across the country that want to give lip service and talk about how much they love Jesus, but they live just like this world. Paul's saying it shouldn't be that way. If you're saved by grace, that same grace that saved you that wants to change your life and is powerful enough to do so. We're not to live like this world. We're to be separate from this world. What I'm saying this morning is that there's a approach that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. In America today, we've tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable to the culture. The problem with that is that a church that's accepted well with the culture isn't accepted well with Christ. And in Hebrews chapter number 13, uh, verse number 13, the Bible says, let us go unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. There's a reproach that is to be borne by a Christian. Uh, There's still a reproach to the name of Christ. 
Can I tell you this morning, if you don't please, if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. We're not out trying to win a popularity contest. We're trying to win souls. If you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. God says, be holy for I am holy. And listen, if, if Jesus can be stripped and mocked, if He can be spat upon and beaten, if He can be despised and rejected, if He can bear the curse of sin for every man, we can bear His reproach today. If He can die for us, we can live for Him. Like Paul said to Timothy, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Jesus was the perfect example of what I'm talking about today. Uh, living a godly life in an ungodly world. Uh, Hebrews 7.26 says, He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And yet, study the life of Christ. What was His biggest criticism from His enemies? That He was a friend of publicans and sinners. They could, the Pharisees could not stand that fact that Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. They called Him a friend of sinners. And yet here he was, holy and undefiled and harmless and separate from sinners. Only the Holy Spirit can give us that kind of balance in our life that we need to live a godly life in an ungodly world. Right? There's no way to regulate that with a list of do's and don'ts. I was a youth pastor for almost thir about 13 years. I tried. You can't. Right? You can't come up with enough thou shalt nots to keep up with the sins of this world, the, the changing technology and everything like the fads of this world. You cannot regulate holiness with a list of rules. But God's given us so much of a better way. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And if we'd follow the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to guide us, God can do a whole lot better leading and guiding than a bunch of rules. You see, and the problem is when you live by a bunch of rules, it just keeps you immature and dependent on spiritual leaders. God said, no, I've given you my Holy Spirit. See, I know there's some law enforcement in this church, so let's, let's be uh, tactful here. How many of you have ever accidentally, we'll say, went over the speed limit. Okay. A handful and then a lot of liars. Okay, I figured that. What, what does a better job of helping you go the speed limit? Looking off in the distance and seeing a white sign that says 70 or looking off in the distance and seeing a state trooper with one of them radar guns pointed right at you? You're hitting the brakes no matter how fast you're going. Right? And that's the difference here. That's what God gives us. It's not a list of rules and thou shouts and thou shalt not. No, God's given us His Holy Spirit that as we go through our life, if we're yielded to Him, He says, hey, I don't think you should do that. Hey, don't, don't watch that. You, you, a Christian, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be listening to that. Hey, that person probably shouldn't be influencing your life. And God, through His Holy Spirit, wants to lead us and guide us and give us that balance to live a godly life in an ungodly world. How many of you ever had somebody show up unannounced at your house before. Knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and you don't know who it is. You're not expecting anybody. You didn't order pizza, so you're clueless as to who it could be. At our house, that's quite the event, right? We got two dogs and three kids, and me and the dogs are barking and going crazy. The kids are barking and going crazy, and they all run to the door. In our house, I mean, you've got you've to hurry up because the kids, they're just going to throw that door open. Either the dogs are going to get loose. I mean, it could be a guy wearing a ski mask and a hatchet. They're still going to open the door. So it's like, don't open the door, don't open the door. And you get there and you're kicking, you look out and you see Bob out there. And you're like, did you invite him? What's he doing? And so you're kicking dogs out of the way. You're giving laundry to kids. Go put this under the bed. Go hide this. Go clean this. Sweep this. And you're like, oh, and then finally open it up. I'm like, hey, Bob, come on in. And you lead him into the living room. Hey, Bob, ha have a seat. Make yourself at home. Would you like some coffee? Let's say you're in the kitchen making Bob some coffee and you come back out and Bob's missing. Like, Bob, where'd you go? You find he doesn't answer, you hear some rustling around upstairs, and so you make your way upstairs, and Bob's in your bedroom going through the dresser. Like, Bob, what are you doing? Like, well, he said, make myself at home, so I'm trying to find something comfortable to wear. Like, no, Bob, 
I meant make yourself at home on that one cushion on the couch. I'm afraid that's what we've done with the Holy Spirit. Right? When we got saved, we said yes to the Holy Spirit. We said, come in, sit right here on the couch, and when it's time to go to church, we'll pick you up. But don't go in my entertainment room. Don't, don't go in the friend room. Don't go in my work room. And we've limited the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible says we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not a liquid and you some vessel. He's a person and you're a temple. And until that person has a key to every room and access to every closet, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's a command. God says, be filled with the Spirit. But until he has access to every room and a key to every closet, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. I am not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that is the only way we're going to be able to live a separated life in an ungodly world is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in a day when Christians are trying to become more and more like the world, I still believe in separation. Number three, I'll hurry this morning. Number three, I still believe in the second coming. Look at verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, I know it's getting crazy out there, right? We can all agree on that. Our world is a mess. But Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And believers should always be expecting His return and living like those who will see Him face to face. 1 John 2.28, the Bible says that we should live in such a way that we're not ashamed before Him at His coming. There's going to be a lot of Christian people, yeah, they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they're going to be awfully ashamed before Him at His coming. We have a blessed hope. You and I, we know how all this ends, so why are we so confused? People look at this world that calls right wrong and wrong right, and Christian people, we look at that and we say, man, this world is confused, but it's not, right? The world is lost. It's not confused, it's lost. The church is confused, right? We get so upset and so taken back and appalled when lost people do lost people things, when lost people live like lost people. The world's not confused, it's lost. The church, I'm sad to say, is confused. We are the ones that know all of it. God, why are we so worried? Did we not think that all this was just going to end? That all this was going to end? I'm convinced that so many Christians are so stuck on their Fox News, they just thought we were just going to ride the Trump train to heaven, right? God said all this is going to happen. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Right? The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. First Peter talks about the fiery trials that are going to face us. Did we not know it was going to get rough? Preachers have been saying for years, I read the back of the book and we win. Well, that's great. But you leave, did you read the stuff that led up to that? It gets pretty hairy in there for a while. There's a time where we're actually begging for the hero to come back. The Bible says he's coming again. And when he comes, he's not coming to be president. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. He's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. Why are we so worried about it? God told us all this is going to happen. And he told us that we have a blessed hope. A blessed hope. The way he talks about that is referring to the rapture. When you and I, we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he talks about the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, referring to the time when Jesus will return to rule and reign on this earth, and once and for all show those fools in Washington how it's supposed to be done. Pardon the expression. Jesus is coming again. We face difficulties. We endure injustice. But this morning, I'm not cast down, because I have a blessed hope. Jesus is coming again. No matter how difficult things may seem, no matter what kind of turmoil you find yourself in this morning, Jesus Christ is coming again. 
And then lastly, real quick this morning, number four, I still believe that we have a Savior worth speaking about. Look at verse 14. Speaking of Christ, it says, "...who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works." Paul's just kind of relating to Titus a little bit about what the Lord has done for us. And he says that he calls us a peculiar people. We're going to be a peculiar people. He doesn't mean odd. It's talking like one of a kind, like a, like a diamond in a coal mine. He says we are to be that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us. He's purified us. He has a plan for us. He's been good to us. Listen, if you think you get so worked up and so angry in this world, knowing the back of the book, Imagine how your lost co-workers feel in all this mess. Without hope. Not uh, with all the uncertainties going around around them. Look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you, you can get angry. You, you can mock people for riding in their car, double masked by themselves with the windows up all you want. But they're scared of death. This world doesn't have any hope. They, they are terrified of death. They are terrified about what's going to happen if they die. And we must be willing to go out into this world and reach them, tell them about our Savior with a heart of compassion. Can I remind you that kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning ever has? You say, well, I just don't know what to say. And what if I say the wrong thing? What if I mess up? What if they ask me about the dinosaurs? (laughs) Kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning ever has. If we go to people with a heart of compassion, burden for their soul, truly and genuine Christ-like love, I promise you it makes a difference. This morning there's three worlds. There's the world God made and it's beautiful. There's the world that God died for and they're sitting all around you today. You'll never find a person that Jesus Christ didn't die for, that He didn't love. God so loved that world. And then there's a world system today that hates God, a system that's opposed to all that is God. And we've been called to go into this world and win them for Christ. Jesus himself was a personal soul winner. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Think about all that Jesus did when he was on this earth. Just in those three and a half years of just compact of ministry, John says there's no way to contain all the things that Jesus did. We couldn't write about it all. And yet in the busyness of all that he did, he took time to meet with people. He took time to sit at a well with a woman whose life had been broken and scarred by this world. He took time to meet with Nicodemus at night. He took time to sit with Jesus and uh, small children and receive them unto himself. He took time to eat with publicans and sinners. And now he says, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. R.A. Torrey said, no man has a right to call himself a follower of Jesus if he's not a soul winner. Now that sounds pretty harsh and blunt. Think about that. Jesus himself said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Can a man truly call himself a follower of Jesus Christ if he's not trying to win people to the Lord? If he's not giving the gospel? If he's not a personal soul winner? The early church, man, they did so much with so little. And I'm afraid our modern church is doing so little with so much. We have planes and internet and live stream and technology. We have all this stuff at our fingertips, and yet the church has lost its passion and burden for souls. When's the last time you wept for a soul? When's the last time you had a person, a lost person by name on your, prayer, on your prayer list? When's the last time you just walked through or drove through your neighborhood and prayed for the souls of your neighbors? And God, give us a burden again to tell people about Christ. Soul winning is every Christian's business. A Christian that refused to win souls is like a doctor that refuses to see patients. It's like a, a, a pilot that refuses to fly a plane. It's the business of every Christian. All of us ought to be involved in actively getting the gospel in our world. When Jesus said unto you, come unto me, you came, 
And when he says, go, you should go. How can we receive one offer and reject the other? In the first half of the 20th century, there was a missionary in China who did a great job as a linguist and a diplomat in his work for the Lord. His abilities were so outstanding that an American company in China took notice of they offered him an attractive job with a salary to match, but he turned them down. He said, God called me to China to be a missionary, and that's what I'm going to do. And he thought that would have settled it, but they came back and offered him an even higher salary. He turned it down again. And then they came back a third time, now doubling the salary that they had originally offered him. To this he said, it's not your salary that is too little, it's your job that's too small. It's not your salary that is too little, it's your job that is too small. Can I remind you this morning, the greatest work that you could give your life to is to tell other people about the Savior, to give lost people the gospel, to give them some of that, that blessed hope that you and I have. We can sit here and we can be so glad that in the midst of all the chaos, we know where we're going. We know, we know the Lord. We know we're going to heaven when we die. How dare we keep that to ourselves? We could offer that blessed hope to those around us. In the midst of a world where it's not popular to mention the name of Jesus, I still believe that we have a Savior worth speaking about. Every one of us in here this morning, we would agree that the principles and the precepts of this book are under attack in our world today. There's many people that are wavering and drifting and leaving the truths and convictions that they once stood for passionately. Can I tell you, like Paul told Titus this morning, speak these things. Speak these things. Stay true to these things. Hold faithfully to these things. Speak them to all that will hear. Let me ask you a couple questions this morning as we close. Number one, have you received God's salvation? Have you received God's grace through Jesus Christ? Have you received God's salvation by grace through faith? Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know 100% certain that you're on your way to heaven, if you can't give Bible reasons as to, know, as to why you know where you're going when you die, I beg you, I plead with you to get saved today. We have an invitation in a moment. Pastor would love to greet you here at the front and take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Let me ask you secondly, for the Christians, are you living a separated life? Are you living a life that's filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit? Number three, is your focus on the terrible things that's going on in our world or is your focus on our blessed hope? And then lastly, who have you tried to tell about our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.